Finish this sentence for me. All right, you learned these uh, little nursery rhymes as a kid. Okay, so here we go. Mary had a little lamb. His fleece was white as snow. You know that one. Hickory dickory dock. The mouse went up the clock. Uh, you know all these things, right? They're in your head. You learned them as nursery rhymes, as little kids, and they're just in there. And the cool thing about them is they're just there when you need them. Think of it like a tool bag. It's just a special bag of tricks that you just have these little things that you know for no reason. Why do we need to know these things about Mary's little lamb? I don't know. It helped us as kids for some reason. Uh, or try these. These are a little more useful. I, I use this particular one all the time, okay? I'll give you the first half. You give me the second half, okay? First half is righty tidy. Okay, did you hear what everyone said? Let's try it again. Righty tidy. Lefty Lucy, that's how you remember how to tighten a screw or loosen it. Or if you have a tr problems with like the lid of the toothpaste, uh, you know, righty tighty, lefty Lucy. I use it all the time. It's very practical. Uh, maybe you know this one, an apple a day does what? Keeps the doctor away. Or what are you supposed to do if your clothes catch on fire? Stop, drop, and roll. You had to think too long on that one. You need to know. Stop, drop, and roll. Okay, so we learned these things and some of them are practical. And again, they're just right there whenever we need them. And as I've been growing up, uh, I've learned throughout life as an adult, and you learn these other phrases like click it or tick it, booze it and lose it. Uh, when I was in elementary school, Nancy Reagan taught us, just say no. And I got to tell you, it made a difference, I think, in at least my life, at least I had the thought like, is this what I'm saying no to? Like I should say no to some of this stuff, right? We learn these little phrases and they're in our mind. The human mind is an amazing thing. And we can process so much information. We can put things in our head and certain things get tucked away on these little shelves and cubbies inside our brain so that we can recall them like whenever we need them. You don't ever have to think about how to do certain things. They just happen. They just come out of us. And most of us can do this with weird things like movie, lyric, movie quotes and song lyrics. Maybe you can uh, sing your favorite TV theme song or maybe like 200 of them. There was a, a, a summer camp when I was a kid. There was a dean at summer camp who always, that was a game he played. Uh, Stuart Woodley, I know you're out there. Uh, he was always, it was the, the theme song game. And you'd play theme songs and people would just say, oh, I know the theme song. Uh, we can do it with famous speeches, you know. Maybe you can do it with Famous documents like the Declaration of Independence or, the, or, or things like that. Maybe you're like me and you were raised on Schoolhouse Rock songs and you know that I'm just a bill. As I'm only a bill, I'm sitting here on Capitol Hill. And, you know what I'm saying? And maybe if you're too young for that, you know a Barney song or Little Einstein or all of us were raised by Mr. Rogers, right? So we all have these things. Now, I, I give you this whole list of things because there are all these little things in our brain that are just there when we need them. We're in the teaching series called Rhythms of a Disciple. And uh, the idea is that we're looking at the different habits and disciplines that Jesus and his disciples had that kept them close to God and kept them like, you know, on the straight and narrow path and constantly aware of who God was in their life. And we've looked at several different ones. This is our third week, so I'd encourage you, if you haven't watched it, to go check it out online or on our podcast. The videos are available on YouTube. Uh, but this week, we're looking at a spiritual discipline that's probably like the granddaddy of them all. It's the monster of all spiritual discipline, and at least it is to me. And it's one that I think a lot of us struggle with. It's got to do with reading our Bibles. There's a lot of stuff you can do with the Bible. I mean, you can read it, you can teach it, you can memorize it, you can copy it down. There's a lot of different things you can do with the Bible. But the word that I want to use for our kind of memory peg today is the concept of Bible internalization. Bible internalization. Say that with me. Say Bible internalization. 
Bible internalization, the idea, like those memory things that we learned as kids, that it's just in there when you need it. Because there's going to be times in life where we hit unexpected things, whether it's doubts or fears or temptations, or maybe it's just celebratory things and we're excited about stuff. But we need to know where to go to give glory to God or to find faith in Him. And many Christians, if they're honest, will admit that they're pretty bad about their Bible reading. In fact, it's statistically proven. Uh, Barna and the American Bible Association do a survey every year of several thousand people. And I was just reading the most recent one they posted this past week as I was doing some research about Bible reading. So in our records from 2011 to 2019, there was uh, one of the questions, there's lots of questions that are very helpful in the survey. One of the questions was, uh, how often do you, or how many of you read the Bible uh, about once a week? I think this was the number that we got. And the number was higher than I thought, honestly, but the number of the people surveyed was about 13%. 13%. Now, first of all, that's fairly low, okay? So in, in the average church, there's maybe a little under 100 people, around 100 people. That means about 13 people in the church read their Bibles every week. Now, we could do better, but this, the research also showed that in 2020, the number had dropped. And the people answered, and it was about 8.5%. That means in this room, and we're less than uh, 50 people, and there's, what are we, 30 people in this room, maybe? I don't know what the math is on that, but it's not very many people in this room. I think it's something like three of us read our Bibles this week. Now, maybe we totally blew the statistics out the window in our room, and if you count our online family, you know, maybe more. But I think we can admit that as a church and as believers, we probably don't read the Bible like we would say what we wish that we did. And I think there's some mental barriers there. I don't know what they all are, but in my experience talking to people, it's often like, I don't know where to start or I don't have the time, or I don't make the time, or it's hard, or I don't understand it. Like those are kind of the common ones, and those are, many of them, very reasonable reasons. However, I wanna challenge us. What other things in your life that you do regularly, at one point, did you not make time for? At one point, was it hard to you? At one point, did you not understand it? And then now you do it all the time. And so I think the real answer to the reason why we're not reading our Bibles is, it's just not a habit. We're just not doing it. So my goal today is that I can kind of encourage us as to why it's important to not just read our Bibles, but internalize it, and hopefully give us a couple little tips and something that we can do together as a church family and anyone who's watching can join us to help us get better at it in the immediate future. Okay, so today I want to take our minds off of just, I want to read the Bible to the value of internalizing it. To get there, we're gonna look at some scripture. First of all, I wanna just take a look at something King David said. Uh, If you ever wanna just read a really good long chapter of the Bible that talks about the power of God's word, Psalm 119, David writes this poem. It is the longest chapter in the Bible. And the majority of it is about how much David loves God's word, okay? But this passage is gonna be kind of our anchor for today. Psalm 119, 11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. There's our motivation, that we have hidden God's word in us, internalized it to the point that we can honor him with our lives. Internalization. My dad said something once that left me, uh, it's, it's never left my brain. It, it just, it left me going, that's a really good point. I don't know if it hit you the way it hit me, but this is it. So, uh, some of the guys in here I know are, are like, work with tools a lot. So I was doing something with my dad. I don't remember what exactly it was. It was some plumbing. Something must have gone south, okay? And he's like, oh, quick, quick, hand me the monkey wrench. A monkey wrench is a pipe wrench. It's for tightening and loosening pipe fittings, okay? So I give him the wrench, he fixes it. And then when he got done, he comes out and he goes, Whew. you know, I've learned that when you need a monkey wrench, you need it right now. 
Now, the lesson there is this. There are some toys, we, tools we have in our life that it, if we need them, we don't need to make a trip to Lowe's or Walmart to get that tool. Like, you need it right now. Have you ever needed jumper cables? Anybody got jumper cables? Uh, yeah, I got some in my other car. Yeah, thanks. No, I need it right now. Like, I need this right now. And with God's word, that's what it is. So I think of it like the monkey wrench thing in my life. There are things that I need on me and near me and available to me at all times. And one of those things is God's word. Because trouble and anxiety and pain and fear are going to pop in at unexpected times. And if our only recourse is to Google it or to call somebody who might not answer the phone, that could help. But what if God's word was instilled in our heart so that we could have it right when we need it? So grab a Bible. We're going to be in the New Testament for a while this morning. We're going to be in the book of Matthew in chapter 4. And in Matthew, which is one of the biographies of Jesus' life, we're going to find this story of Jesus as he is putting this principle into action. Bible internalization. Having it right, it is ready. So in Matthew chapter 4, we find Jesus at this point where he's just been baptized. And this is kind of the kickoff to his public ministry. But before he goes out uh, into uh, ministry and teaching and going from village to village to do all the things that he's famous for doing, he's going to take some time to go out into the wilderness. Let's just check it out. Matthew chapter 4 verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Every major biblical character that we see has some wilderness period, at least the majority of them. Most of them literally going into like nature. They go up onto a mountain for a while. They go out into the woods. They go into, into the wilderness. And it's a time of testing. And it's a time of kind of proving your grit. And a time of saying, listening for God. And so Jesus, in the habit and the history of all of the great leaders that have come before him, says, I'm going to do this too. He goes out into the wilderness. And while he's there... He's tempted by the devil. Now, if you keep on going in verse 2, we find out why. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, it says, Jesus was hungry. I think that might be the biggest understatement in the Bible. If you fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, you will be hungry too. And in verse 3, it says, the tempter came to him, this is the devil, and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Now, that's tempting. You haven't eaten in 40 days. Someone reminds you, oh yeah, you're God in the flesh. You could provide for yourself food. Don't think Jesus hadn't already thought about this. But to have someone whisper in your ear and remind you of something is a big reminder. And then Jesus makes a sandwich. No, he doesn't. He says something really, this is bizarre. Like this, Miss Bethel actually just said it in her video a minute ago. But what he says here is not what any of us would say, I don't think. He says, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. It sounds spiritual, it sounds super deep, but let's be honest, how many of us love some bread? Like how many of us need some food to live, okay? So we're like, wait, Jesus, what's wrong with making some bread? You're hungry after all. There's more to it than this. First of all, Jesus is kind of like throwing down this, or the devil's throwing down this gauntlet. He's like, hey, if you are the son of God, kind of this jab like I mean are you are you really God in the flesh flesh then turn this stone into bread here's the thing about Jesus's mission Jesus was God in the flesh which means he was fully God but he put on human skin now his mission on this earth was to come and eventually give his physical life for our sins he had to be willing to submit himself to physical things the hardest of which being death 
So all through his life, there had to have been many moments where he suffered with something physical, a sore back, a twisted ankle, a sore throat, where he could have been like, "Ah, you know, I'm going to do my abracadabra God stuff, and I'm just going to get rid of this. But Jesus wanted to be fully human for us so that he could follow through with the cross. So when the devil comes to him and says, hey, I want you to do this thing, Jesus has a choice to make. Is there anything wrong with eating bread? No. But he understands that the devil has a bigger agenda. Hey, there's a shortcut to this thing that you're doing. You don't have to do this. You don't have to die on the cross. You don't have to live this crummy life anymore. You don't have to smell bad after you sweat. Just make make some bread. And Jesus quotes a passage from Deuteronomy chapter 8. He says, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Um, Jesus must have been familiar with Psalm 119.11 that we just read. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. This Deuteronomy 8 passage is one that the modern Christian probably would have not spent much time with. Because when we think of the Old Testament, we're like, well, that's not for me. I'm in the New Testament now. But there's some powerful stuff in the stories that are about Moses and that period. And this is where Jesus, immediately when he hears this temptation, his mind goes back to a story he must have been very familiar with. Deuteronomy 8, starting at verse 3, says this. And this is Moses talking to the nation of Israel and reminding them of what an amazing blessing God has been to the nation of Israel. He says, he humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. I love this next sentence because I think we relate to it even more. Your clothes did not wear out and your feet did not swell during those 40 years. The message that Moses was teaching the nation of Israel at this time was like, listen, you're gonna have physical needs, but you gotta trust God. And if you don't know the story of manna and all of that, just Google manna Moses. And there's probably a Wikipedia page. Read up on it. It's a powerful story. Go back to Deuteronomy and read it. Uh, actually, it's going to be in the book of Exodus. And you're going to find some really cool stuff that God provides for the nation of Israel. So when Jesus hears this temptation from the devil, turn the stone into bread, Jesus goes, wait, God's going to provide for me. I don't have to cheat the plan right now. This is something I've committed to. Man does not live on bread alone. Does that make sense? It's right there when he needs it. He pulls it out and he remembers Deuteronomy 8, verse 3. Back to Jesus. Now, this story is going to seem like a quick summary of this because it is. It's very quick. There might have been more said between Jesus and the devil uh, in all of this. I don't know. But this is just what we, what we get recorded here. And we're going to get a second encounter with the devil in verse 5. It says, then the devil took him to the holy city and he had to stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he jabs again. He said, throw yourself down for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. This time the devil tries a clever trick, okay? Because the devil says, oh, oh, okay, okay. We're quoting scripture. Okay, I know scripture. I know scripture. That we're gonna do a gunfight. This is a knife fight. No big deal. I know scripture. And he pulls out the sword of the spirit in a knife fight and he quotes scripture. Now, the, the thing he says there about striking your, stone on a, uh, your foot on a stone Totally in the Bible. You can look it up. Psalm chapter 91, verse 11 and 12, I think. And so, I mean, the devil quotes scripture. One thing we need to understand is that the devil and evil, evil, you know, beings, one of the things that they're good at is taking God's word and twisting it and perverting it, taking it out of context, cherry picking it, putting it in places and messing up and disunifying God's people. And so, yeah, it does say that God will send his angels to protect you, 
but this is not a verse that gives us permission to go throwing ourselves off of buildings. <laughs> That's not what this is. That's what the devil's saying it is. Instead, it's about something else. And Jesus is like, ah, yeah, I see what you did there. But I'm not biting. And so he says there in verse 7, well, it's also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. He quotes some scripture, and maybe there was more conversation between the two of them. But you see how this is working, right? The devil comes with the temptation. What does Jesus pull out? Now, if you've ever seen a superhero movie, he's going to pull out some kind of mega sword, laser eyes, magic stone, cosmic power. Like, that's what the superhero is going to use. Jesus is not reaching for the laser eyes. He's not even pulling out the monkey wrench, you know? He, he's just like, God's word. This is what I need. When I face the most powerful being other than us, God, the devil, I'm just going to use God's word against him. It happens one last time in verse 8. It says, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all of their splendor. And all this, he said to Jesus, I will give to you. If you'll just bow down and worship me. I could say so much more here, but let me just kind of, because you might have heard this. You probably have heard this before, and you're like, I mean, yeah, that's what he said. Why would the devil tempt Jesus with all of the world? Isn't he God in the flesh? Like, it's like my kids telling me, hey, listen, if you want to, you can watch some TV. I'm like, uh, yeah, I can. That's right, because I'm in charge here. Um, so why go to Jesus and say, hey, you can have all the splendors of the world? Here's the deal. Once again, it seems that the devil is offering Jesus a shortcut your goal is to be the king of all things and, and to rule all things. And I tell you what, I've been running this place for a while, Jesus, down here on earth. And I tell you what, why don't we kind of rule this thing together? And you can skip the cross, you can skip all the pain, same thing, shortcut. It's been 40 days. I can't imagine that a duel straight with the Satan himself was easy. Though it might have been, he's God in the flesh, it probably was. But the devil's offering what is pretty, a pretty viable shortcut. Jesus himself, before he gave his life on the cross, was like on his knees crying. And it says he was crying like it was blood coming out of his face. And he's like, Lord, if there's any other way to do this, will you please take this cup from me? Looks like Satan's got an idea. Why don't you just claim dominion? Serve yourself instead of serving these people. I doubt Jesus took much time to think about it. Because what he says in verse 10 is, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord and serve him only. Also a passage from Deuteronomy. Jesus was a big fan of Deuteronomy, it seems. Verse 11 says, the devil left him and angels came and attended to him. So Jesus dips back into his knowledge of scripture, again in the book of Deuteronomy. He says, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So this story from Jesus' life, okay, that's the end. That's how we're doing from the teaching. But this story from Jesus' life is a reflection of the rhythms he was living in as a human. One of those rhythms, apparently, was being in God's word, tucking it away, storing my word in your heart so that I will not sin against you. Even after 40 days of fasting, when he was at what it must have been one of his weakest moments in his human life, he's able to draw on the reserves of God's word, his scripture, and combat even Satan. He must have known Psalm 119, verse 9. Uh, I told you 119 is a really long chapter in the Bible. And this is another thing David says. He says, how can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. How can we avoid going off the trail? How can we stay close to God? we got to live according to his word. How do we do that? What I see Jesus doing here is that he has internalized scripture. Bible internalization. So in the time that we have left, uh, 
let's talk about how we can get better at this. I mean, statistics have already shown that we're not very good at it, okay? So I'm not going to pretend like we are. How can we get better at it? I've recommended a few times in this series a book by a guy named Richard Foster. So if you haven't picked up Celebration of Disciplines by Richard Foster, I'm going to encourage you one more time to take a look at it. It's on Amazon. You can get a Kindle version. You can, uh, you can buy a used copy somewhere. Um, and it just goes through a lot of different spiritual disciplines and, and what they are, what the Bible says about them, and how you can kind of get better at them. Uh, and in a section about Bible study, which is the chapter, it's called study, he gives what I think are four really great kind of principles for internalizing God's Word. And I want to lay them out for you. It's just four words here. The words are repetition, concentration, comprehension, and reflection, okay? So if you're a note taker, let's just leave that up there for a second. And write these down. These would be some good things that you can, but let's break them down. Repetition, concentration, comprehension, reflection. First, repetition. Now, this should be pretty obvious. You know that you, if you hear things over and over again, they'll stick in your brain. That's why, you know, you know the, all the lyrics to your favorite songs because you've heard them a hundred times. And so repetition is an obvious thing. Psychologists have said that one of the factors that shapes our very identity are the things that we hear early and often. Keyword there is often. Early is important as well, but keyword here is often. Because imagine this, if you're a kid and, and let's say you're an adult, let's say for the first 20 years of your life, you hear over and over again from people that matter in your life, uh, you're stupid, you're ugly, you're fat, you're worthless. You're stupid, you're ugly, you're fat, and you're worthless. Now forgive me, we should never say those kind of things to people, but unfortunately people come up with people telling them those kind of things. What do you believe about yourself? If you hear that all the time, well, you, I believe I'm stupid, I'm fat, I'm worthless, I'm ugly, right? That's what I, that's what I believe. Why? Because, you know, my dad told me that or some coach told me that or some friend that I really liked told me that over and over again. What if instead you heard, you're a child of God. God loves you. You matter. You have purpose. And you hear that all throughout your life. It totally shifts how you think of yourself, what you believe about yourself, your very identity. Parents, I want to just say this, moms and dads watching online and in the room, this is why it's so important to just immerse our kids in the Word of God. I know that technology is cool and, and video games are awesome and TV shows are entertaining because we don't have to watch our kids as long as they're in front of the internet and that YouTube now has a kid version, which is, you know, foolproof. It was, how could anything go wrong there? But if that's what's raising them completely and we are not just bathing them in the Word of God and the truth of God, they're going to believe what they are told early and often. You might not be a child. Most of us aren't. This is true for us as well. And we can retrain our brains what we believe and think and understand. I want to go to Deuteronomy again because Jesus loved it. So let's look at it ourselves. Deuteronomy chapter 11 verse 18 says, Fix these words of mine in your hearts and in your minds and tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your forehead and teach them to your children and talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates and the writer here is saying listen God's word is powerful so put it everywhere write it everywhere put it on post-it notes wear t-shirts talk about it sing about it Put it everywhere in your mind because why? Repetition, repetition, repetition. That is Richard Foster's first idea about studying the Bible and I think it's great. But we can't just stop at repetition. The second one is concentration. Now concentration uh, is about focusing our mind on, on the thing, okay? And so uh, it's one thing just to have repetition. So you guys help me out. You did good earlier. Let's see what you can do. You, I'll do the first half. You do the second half. First half goes like this. Ba-da-da-da-da. 
Yeah, you know that. You're all good uh, McDonald's brainwashed slaves, just like me, right? What is that from? McDonald's commercial. I don't even think they're using that marketing jingle anymore, but we still have it in our head. It's in there. Now it's repetition, repetition, repetition. Concentration is different though. Repetition goes, why am I singing this song? Concentration goes, oh, McDonald's has got uh, five chicken nuggets for a dollar. I'm paying attention to the commercial. Odds are good that in the marketing that gets shoved into our brains, we're not concentrating. We just hear it. And it's good to have repetition of God's word. But we've actually got to zoom in and like pay attention. What is it actually saying? Focusing our mind. And it goes hand in hand with the third principle. Okay, so we've got repetition, concentration. The third one is comprehension. So comprehension is understanding that message. It's one thing to see the sign, McDonald's got five chicken nuggets for a dollar, and then go, well, that's a great deal. <laughs> you know, that's, you understand the message. That's a good value. It's connecting the dots. For me, when it comes to Bible study, personally, comprehension happens best in community. Um, it's difficult to really dive deep by yourself. Now, we can do that, but conversation, you can't replace that. That's why the concept of a Bible study and a small group and all these things are so valuable. That's why Bible reading has gone down in 2020. I didn't mention this when I was talking about statistics because churches weren't meeting this year. That's why people aren't reading their Bibles as much. They're not talking about it. They're not being encouraged and reminded as often. So comprehension is is huge in community. Now, there's lots of ways that we can find comprehension. Uh, There are great books that have been written, commentaries written on books of the Bible, and there's Bible studies, and you can listen to sermons like this one, and you can do all kinds of things. The goal, though, is just not just to let it bounce repetitively in our brain and not just be like, oh, there it is, but to try to understand it. And it leads us to the, the fourth one, which is reflection. Because uh, I forgot the two words, concentration and comprehension can become very academic. You know, like you can know a lot of stuff and you can understand a lot of stuff. You can probably win some debates. Uh, But how's it moving from your head to your heart? And that's where reflection really happens. And I can't really teach reflection in this sermon or probably a lot of sermons. It's something you have to do and practice. Reflection is about saying, What is the significance of this to me? And so reflection is, you hear this sermon now, and then by Tuesday, you're still thinking about it. You go, oh, yeah, maybe I could read my Bible more. Reflection is coming together and going, we just looked at a lot of scripture, Deuteronomy, Psalm. Uh, We looked at a passage from Matthew. We looked at this whole story about Jesus. Reflection goes, wait a second, what does that all mean? What's the significance? All of those passages, passages teach us about the power of God's word. You see what I'm saying? Like reflection is putting it all together, bringing it down from your head to your heart. And then the goal is not just reading the Bible or understanding the Bible, but transformation happens. Like I make changes in my life because I've reflected on it, I've spent time. It's a cycle, you go through it all. Now, okay, that's cool. Thank you, Richard Foster, for four things. But let me just speak to the elephant in the room right now. According to the statistics, we're not very good at this anyway, okay? So good, we got a four-point checklist, great, leave out of here. No, we need to get better at reading our Bibles, okay? So in the, in the last few seconds here, a few minutes here, I want to offer some suggestions. First of all, I want to encourage you to open your Bibles and read them, okay? I mean, everybody, online, in person, let's do it. Let's do it this week, okay? And with a lot of habits, we're like, I'm going to do it seven days a week, and I'm going to read five chapters a day so I can read through the Bible in a year, and that's a really big bite to take if you, you, you haven't been eating. <laughs> and so maybe set a more realistic goal. One day this week would be more than last week, maybe, for a lot of us. Two days. 
One thing my family's been doing, and we, it was a New Year's resolution, is we want to try to study our Bible as a family three days a week, three times a week. And uh, something, I mean, I'm the preacher at a church, I want to admit, we haven't been great at it. Um, we, we, we connect with our kids on different levels scripturally, but back in January, me and Lindsay were talking, we're like, we need to make this like a habit so that as our kids leave the house, they still have the habit. We're priming the habit in their life. And so that's something we've started. We're reading through the book of Joshua. That's a doozy. Okay, read Joshua. There's a lot of the killing and massacres going on. But then uh, you get to concentrate and comprehend and reflect and ask yourself how it moves from your head to your heart. It's fun. It's good. And it's a habit. But I want to do something as a, a church family that maybe we can do. Um, there is a great app called YouVersion, and a lot of you probably have it on your phones. It's the most popular Bible app in the world. If you look Bible up on any app store, it's probably the very first one. It's a little uh, brown book is the, the, the logo. Uh, and there are hundreds of Bible reading plans, and there are a lot of great ways that you can connect with God's Word through that. Um, but... As a church family, I thought it would be cool is if we tried to jump into a plan together, okay? So you guys who are here in person, you're going to have to probably go check Facebook or maybe I can send it out through email this week as well. But uh, we have a link, someone, if you will, I've asked a couple people to do it, so it'll get, if you'll post it in the comments down below, uh, and if you're in here right now and you want to hop on Facebook, you go click on that. It's a link to a reading plan that I'm personally committing to. It's 12 days. Just do the book of James. Now, you might not do it in 12 days. You might need to spread it out because, again, don't try to take a huge bite if you've never done this maybe you want to spread it out every other day I'm gonna try to do it every day it's the book of James it's also got commentary and comments from a guy named Francis Chan who's a fantastic writer and speaker and he says things more clearly than anybody in a lot of times and so that's really good it's through the book of James if you click that link uh, it'll take you to that you can join it and another cool thing is that happens in community so after you read each day uh, you can leave a little comment I thought that was cool, Francis, or whatever. Or you can talk about things that are going on, or you can see that other people have read. It's good for accountability. I think it would be really cool if our church family just tried this. Because if the statistics are correct, there's only about 10 of us reading our Bibles every day, or every week. <laughs> and so let's try. Let's do better. Let's get into the book. Let's get into the Word. Let's internalize God's Word. Why? Because when life hits us, we need it right there. We need to know that God loves us. We need to know that God has a plan for us. We need to see the examples from scripture after scripture, story after story of how God dealt with a similar situation that we're going through and how the people responded. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against God. Let's internalize God's word. Let me pray for you today.